Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is Grady Smith. You may know him from the YouTube channel of the same name. Essentially, his channel is, you know, kind of like mine, but about country music. He does a little bit more reviews than I do, but similar kind of thing, like just his thoughts on the country music industry from the perspective of a fan. And I'm a kind of casual country fan, I would say. Like, I listen to you know, very like basic mainstream kind of country stuff. But whether you like country or not, what I think you'll get out of this conversation is just a lot of insights on what it is to be a professional creator. He's been doing this for, I don't know, I think five or six years now, maybe, maybe a little bit more, but you know, he deals with all the same kind of stuff that I do as a YouTuber that you've heard me talk about on the other conversations I had with YouTubers like Psych IRL and Sarah Dietschy. Just kind of the standard stuff about art versus commerce, about doing stuff that pleases you versus your audience, how to kind of deal with the times where those things kind of don't point you in the same direction as is pretty common. Uh, so I think it's a great conversation that whether you are a musician or YouTuber or really any kind of creator, I think there's a lot to be learned here and he's just such a nice guy. You'll love him. So. Hopefully you will enjoy this one as much as I did. Before we get into it, I wanted to mention a couple things you can do to support the show if you are so inclined. Number one is just to share it on social media. That does a lot to help us because the platforms really don't promote shows very much. The second thing you can do, which is super, super helpful, is to support us on Patreon. Patrons get access to a few cool things. The first of which is they get every podcast a week early. Second, I started doing patron-only Q&As. I've published a couple of these as podcasts to kind of give you an idea of what they are, but essentially it's a chance for me to answer questions in more detail than I can in a DM or in a YouTube comments video. There's also a members-only private Discord server, which I'm really liking. It's become a lot more active lately. I'm in there all the time. It's a super cool community. So to me, it is worth joining the Patreon just for that alone, but that's just my opinion. And also, there is a way to have me review your work of any kind, whether that's uh, music or a video, podcast, YouTube, uh, you know, artwork, anything that you would like me to take a look at or listen to, there's a way to do that if you are a member at the $10 and up level. So if any of that sounds compelling to you or you just want to support the show, you can do that at the link in the show notes. But first, before we get into that, let's do a little bit of Q&A. From Greg Rodriguez, I need some advice. I just got a diploma after not having it for so many years, which I can now continue my education on further. I'm guessing he means, I'm guessing he means college here. But I don't know what path to take to continue my education. I'm looking for something small and something that can help me land a better job than just working at a warehouse. I'm into so many things, but I don't know which one will benefit me to grow more. And that's what I'm looking for. What do you recommend or some advice that I can use? All right. So if the question is basically, what do I do from here? So first of all, congratulations on getting your diploma. That will only help you. 
rather than sort of asking yourself, what tactic should I do? I think what you should do is set a goal for yourself in terms of a lifestyle and then work backwards from there about how you're going to get there. So for example, you know, let's say that you want to own like a, you know, reasonable, like two bedroom house in a decent suburb, have a car and enough and be able to, you know, afford to go out to a restaurant here and there and save for retirement. Nothing fancy. I think that's probably kind of what most people want. And let's say that, you know, in your uh, in your part of the country, that costs, you know, $60,000 a year. Ask yourself, all right, so if, if that's the lifestyle that I need or lifestyle that I want, how do I get there? Education is one way of getting there, but I would say it's not the only way of getting there by any means. And it sounds like you're maybe a little bit older and it's not even necessarily the best way. What I would say for somebody like you, networking is oftentimes a faster way to get there. Like, Having a degree is not going to guarantee you any opportunity and it's not going to guarantee you any kind of like salary unless it's in something that's like super, you know, in, in super high demand, like software engineering. Even then, you know, it's like these things are all so competitive. There's there's nothing you're going to get as far as education that's just going to be like you know, a ticket to success. And I know that that's not, you know, it doesn't sound like that's how you're looking at this, but I think that the way people sometimes imagine it is like, oh, as soon as I get this thing, whether that's a degree or certification or whatever, then all of a sudden, you know, all these doors are going to open and everything's going to be great. But in reality, I think who you know is more important than what you know or, you know, diplomas and degrees and all that kind of stuff for the most part. You know, if you want to be a doctor, you need to go to medical school. But for most of us, if you just want to have a comfortable lifestyle, um, ask yourself, you know, I don't know about what your skills are, but doing things like going, you know, once you can start seeing people in person again, going to things like meetups or just having coffee with people to ask them out about their job, stuff like that. You know, that is where I've gotten every opportunity in my life pretty much. Like I did go to college and I'm glad I did. I made a video about it, but it's not like after I got that degree that like people started beating down my door to like hire me. I still had to go out and hustle and make my own opportunities. And especially once you get a little bit older, for the most part, people really don't give a shit what you went to school for or whether you went to school at all. Like even having a high school, I mean, nobody's ever asked me if I went to high school, if I graduated from high school or not. I did, but like they wouldn't know that. So I would do that. Like just once you have an idea of where you want to go, just start asking everybody you know, hey, can I get your advice on this? Just like you did to me. Like start asking people this same question. Ask them if you can take them out to lunch and and talk to them about what they do for work or whatever. And one of two things is gonna happen. Uh, one, either you're going to hear someone say something that just has that light bulb moment in your head that's like, oh, that's what I wanna do. That's, oh, okay, I get it. And you're gonna know which path you wanna take. Or that person will you know offer to help you in some way. You know, they will like you and they'll see that you're a hustler and, you know, that you have the right attitude and stuff and they'll go, you know what, uh, actually, we need somebody like you. Let me let me put a referral in uh, for you with the boss and see what I can do. And then you're going to get that job. So I would say, again, without knowing much more about you, try networking before you think because, you know, education, it's like that's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars and it might take many, many years unless you want to go into a specific field that requires that education. I would say networking is probably going to be the better way to get there. So I hope that helps and keep us posted. And with that out of the way, let's get into it. Good morning, Grady W. Smith. Welcome to the podcast. I like to use the middle initial because as I discussed in a video the other day, it makes it sound like you're a famous author. 
<laughs> well, I started in the writing world and it was kind of writerly. And also there's this pastor in Alabama named Grady Smith that really doesn't use his website and won't sell me the domain. And about, you know, eight years ago, I had to decide I'm just going with the W. That's just going to be my thing. Well, you know, I just today on my podcast, I had a guy named Danny Diablo, uh, also known as Lord Ezek, you know, who if, if you have a, a little bit of money to spare, you might be able to send him over to convince that uh, pastor to give up that website. <laughs> Is that a thing he does? <laughs> well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Wow. So, you know, I could put in a word for you if you want. I mean, maybe. I think I'm pretty happy with the W at this point. Okay. Well, you know, you're 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 a nice guy. I mean, that's the tagline of your uh, of your channel, talking about country without being a jerk, right? That's the goal. That's kind of you know, it's funny because I, I sometimes feel like I have evolved to this place as a YouTuber where I'm trying to be a little more thoughtful and and not be a jerk, and then I kind of realize no, that's always been something that matters to me so yes try i think the uh, it, it's like i have the worst banner on all of youtube it's literally <laughs> something i made i think in not even in paint i i think i made it in seashore like an open source version of paint in maybe 2017 that was like trying to think critically without being a jerk but i'm just too lazy to change it i never do any of the best practices of youtube well i mean that's a good example of how a lot of times things that shouldn't work do and things that do work or you think will work don't and uh, as much as, you know, we like to think that we've learned and stuff, I feel like at the end of the day, it's kind of like, it's always just kind of rolling the dice. Is that how it's been for, I mean, look, I, I'm excited for this podcast because I feel like, like I literally have my real life green journal, my pen, because I'm like, oh, <laughs> Finn knows things. I feel like you're just like a couple years ahead of me on figuring out how to live a well-adjusted life as a YouTuber. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to absorb wisdom, but has that been your experience? Kind of just some of the best practices aren't necessarily all that important. Yeah. I mean, I think that all that stuff on any social media platform might make a 10% difference, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. but you've seen this happen. I'm sure you can follow all the best practices for title topic or title tags, description, thumbnail, all that stuff. And if people don't care about the topic, they're not going to click on it. You know, <laughs> I know it's just the way it is. And there's videos that you probably did a couple years ago that you think are terrible that are some of your best performing videos and stuff that you do now that you think is way better that nobody cares about. The, the hardest I ever worked on a video, you can see in my background, there's this painting of Eric Church. And I actually have two other paintings that I had commissioned for that same video. And it was called, I Hired Artists to Paint Country Music Legends. I tried to do something like Safia Nygaard does, just right. some sort of like more experience driven video. And I spent a thousand dollars between the three <laughs> paintings. I mean, they're cool. They're like custom commissions sure. of my favorite artists. But that video, I think, did 12,000 views. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> like, I know. I know. And then you do a TikTok review and it gets like 400,000. Yep. So that really drove it home to me. And all my roommates that had seen me working on it were like, yeah, man, it didn't seem like it was going to have a lot of mass appeal. And it's like, well, thanks for letting me. Thanks for letting me dream, guys. Well, we thought we'd wait until you face planted to let you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, for most people listening to this, they are probably not country music fans. And, you know, for anybody whose initial reaction to hearing the words country music is like, ew, that's fill in the blank negative stereotype. What would you say to that person? I would say that country music is an amazing genre, first of all. And I would, but I would also say that I understand why people might have an aversion to it. And, 
there's a huge difference between probably more than any other genre. There's a huge difference between the stuff that's perceived as quality country music and the stuff that is promoted on a mainstream basis and specifically on country radio, which I think really is what people imagine when they think about modern country music. So there's a whole vibrant world. It's just harder to find in country than I think in a lot of the other genres. I mean, most people listening to this probably think of it as, you know, the truck party genre. Yes, as did I for a long time. And I think what p- part of what makes country music interesting is in the DNA of the genre is a civil war about whether it is uh, representing the real life uh, experience correctly or not. And I think for, I mean, you can go all the way back into like the 30s, you know, just after kind of the big bang of country music happened in Bristol, Tennessee slash Virginia. You've already got songs about how the people in the city are trying to change it and how this isn't true to life. So part of the experience of being a country fan is living with that tension of, okay, it's kind of sold out and corporate and also being proud. Hey, this is sort of the music of the working class. I see. To me, I I think of that divide in my own mind as someone who's a casual country fan. I like the stuff you don't, of course, as always, because <laughs> pretty much 100% of the time, whatever I like is the opposite of what people who watch my videos might like. But Garth Brooks, to me, is the origin of that divide in my life. Because whenever he Certainly. blew up, when was that, like 1990 or 91? Or Mid-90s. Something like that? Yeah. Whenever he blew up, that's when, you know, before that, normal people, I would say, didn't really listen to country that I knew. And I grew up in a, you know, kind of not like redneck town, but ish. Um, and so, you know, the people who listened to country were the kids that were into, you know, country things like hunting and fishing and stuff like that. But nobody listened to country outside of that until Garth Brooks came along. And that's when it became sort of a, a, a genre that people who weren't country might listen to just the same as like Dr. Dre did that for rap. Yeah, I think you're right that that is that is a very normal experience for people like the exact thing that you just described. Garth was a gateway for so many people because the 80s like if you're a country fan the kind of cool thing to do is trash 80s country because it was kind of like soft and over synthesizer-y right it was sort of trying to be pop and that's always there's this pendulum that swings and country sometimes gets this inferiority complex about it and is like oh we need to sound exactly like pop music and garth for as weird as garth is and garth's a weird man at this point in his career seems like a very odd person (laughs) yes was it chris gates is that his chris Gaines was his alter ego that was his sasha fierce garth in the early 90s very vocally said that we got to stop trying to retrofit our genre to what they want and just exist on the coolness that we already have. We don't have to play their game. We should just be so cool doing what we do that they want to come to us. And so Garth, I think, you know, I really admire his early career because he said, let's just be so funny and cool and over the top and good at what we do that people want to come to us. And to this day, 90s country is the gold standard for broad appeal and it gave us people like alan jackson and shania twain that everyone loves so that's sort of the overlap of stuff that quote-unquote real country fans like that also has commercial appeal yes got it and do you have a a stance on this civil war or are you like a neutral are you the switzerland or where do you stand on this i don't know if it's just because i'm growing up but my, like many people in their early 20s, I was so fired up about the state of country music seven, eight years ago and kind of made my name on 
being angry at the mainstream and had a whole column in the guardian for that for, for many years. And uh, I guess just, I've always appreciated mainstream country, but it really bothered me kind of the divide between how bad the radio was and how good independent country music could be these days. I don't love the sound of radio country, but I guess it just doesn't annoy me the way it did when I was 22. You don't have like an emotional reaction to it. You're just like, yeah, I'd rather not listen to that. You start, you start to, I think, see the cycle. I don't know. I'm 31 now. And you just start to, I think for the, really the first time with fashion right now, I'm experiencing, oh, this stuff's all on a cycle, isn't it? There really isn't anything new under the sun. And that takes the edge off some of the nonsense of pop culture because you're like, yeah, I guess this is just kind of human nature. Uh, people are going to like dumb stuff. I guess it's not that big of a deal. I survived. I imagine the next generation will. Yes, and it'll come around and whatever we think is horrible now in 10 to 12 years will be considered great, true art. You know, like when I was a kid, Green Day was gay and nobody was allowed to like it and blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, now you're the idiot if you don't like Green Day. So, you know, I've seen this cycle play out many times too. And so, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's hard for me to be, you know, emotional about it when I know that this is just a moment in time and 10 years from now, the narrative is going to be different. And so I I just enjoy observing, you know, I, I don't, I don't need to participate in the Civil War. I just like to observe from the sidelines. You're like Thucydides. I mean, there's a weird history reference, but yeah, (laughs) you're Thucydides. The the Peloponnesian War of Country. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think I would not go as far as to say I'm a poptimist. Uh, That's the kind of, if I understand it correctly, the line of thinking in music criticism where you just sort of assume things are improving and getting better and you basically give everything the most generous read it could have. That's definitely not me. I mean, I think there is, I think a lot of the problems with corporate country really do dovetail with uh, the, I guess, like centralization of media and it really does make for boring art. And I think boring art really is bad for culture, but I I wish I could muster up the rage I used to feel. I'd be a much better YouTuber. I mean, for real, I would. So, Well, let's talk about that because this is a, a topic that I struggle with a lot. You know, that what the audience responds to, we've talked about this a little bit, you know, outside of this podcast. If you want to get a lot of views, just talk shit. It's as simple as that. Like you said, you know, any video with worst ever or top 10 worst or something like that, is going to get views, but sounds like that's not what you want to do. And yet you recognize that that would be commercially in your best interests. How do you kind of reconcile that? And do you feel as kind of torn about that as, as I do? hundred percent. I feel torn about that. I don't know if this is the reaction to your channel in the kind of punk world, metal world, rock world, but the country world like when people say Nashville is like a big family, they really mean it. And even though like I'm often saying stuff is the worst or whatever, I just know all these artists are now following my Instagram page and they're like, hey, dude, I love what you're making. And you're like, really? I just gave your album a bad review. (laughs) I guess thanks for being nice. But, you know, I don't really know how to respond to that. And well, you know, there's a there's a fundamental difference, I think, between being critical and being a shithead. Yeah, if you're thoughtful, you can be harsh. You know, between saying, I don't care for this, here's why. You know, I think most artists can handle that. Yeah, I agree. That's not talking shit. I guess I just bring it up to say, at least last year, last year was really like my first year of real success as a YouTuber. And that was the 
that was when that kind of knowing that bigger people were actually watching and caring kind of did throw me for a loop. I think I lost a little too much mm -hmm. edge last year and started yep. to, I don't know, it's very glamorous to be like, wow, why is this person with a million followers in my DMs? And then I was like, I'm trying to please them. Literally, all I'm thinking about is whether or not they are going to see this next video that I'm scripting. And that's not who I ever started making content for. So I think... I'm not answering your question at this point. I'm just kind of unpacking the insecurity. This is the kind of stuff I wanted to talk about because, you know, you do sort of, you serve like three masters, I think, yourself, your audience, and then, you know, I guess what you would call peers or industry or whatever. And those three things rarely agree. That's so well put. I've never thought of it in that terms, but yeah, I try to, part of the reason I try to stay outside the industry, I live in Virginia and most of country music's happening either out of Texas or mostly Nashville. But I try to keep a distance because I want to stay a fan. I want to remember what it's like to be a fan of music before I am part of the machine. I just want to stay outside the machine. And it's very hard to maintain that. And I definitely feel torn about what I'm putting out into the universe. I think, you know, this is going to sound, there's no way to talk about being a YouTuber with another YouTuber without both of us sounding like complete self-important douchebags. But what we do is its own kind of expression. It's its own form of yeah. art. And you kind of have to start to own that a little bit. And I think where I get really torn is I realize how hard it is in a different way than I ever have to make things on a consistent basis that you're putting out into the world for public consumption. It's not easy to do. I often suck at it. I often have misses like that expensive painting video I talked about. And it definitely makes you more sympathetic to the cause of creating and think that, totally. man, it's so easy to shit on and it's so hard to do. So, And I think about like people who put out an album that nobody yeah. likes, considering that, you know, most people only put out an album every one to three years. You know, if we put out a video that's a dud, it's like, well, that stings. But, you know, five days from now, we'll have another yes. one. They've got to live with this for one or two or three years. Yeah, and it might have big repercussions about their their deal or something yeah. or their tour. So, I think I think you're totally right. So, yeah, I definitely feel torn. I really respect the craft of creating. I, I get worried about my reputation too much. That's really where I trip up as a YouTuber the most. Is I start to worry too much. Do people think I'm negative? And really, no one's thinking about it. Like I have a document on my computer called right. "Nobody's Thinking About Me Right Now." That I just sometimes go back. That's <laughs> That used to be my big fear when I was like 20. Like, got to get people talking. Now it's my great relief. It's just it's just to remember, literally no one is on the edge of their seat wondering what Grady thinks right now. So stop worrying so much about your reputation and just say how you feel. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's important to remember too that, you know, as you said, there are people who you care, you know, whose, whose opinion you value um, watching what you do. But at the same time, what's the worst that could happen? You're not going to ruin their day. You might irritate them a little bit as they're watching your video while they drink their morning coffee. But what's the worst that could happen? They roll their eyes and they're like, yeah, you know what? That guy's not that cool. I don't like him anymore. So what? Dude, I do not. That is not where I go. When I think what's the worst that can happen, I'm like, oh, man, everyone's going to dig up my past somehow and they're going to try to retaliate and I'm going to go. Oh, of course, that's where my <laughs> head goes, too. But realistically, yes. the worst that's going to happen is the guy who plays drums for Brantley Gilbert or whatever is going to be like, <laughs> I don't really like these guys' videos anymore. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. Yes. 
<laughs> you know, is realistically, that, is that one of your guys that you like, Brantley? Oh, I don't know. It's just a, a name. I mean, I I like him just fine, but just the name that came to mind. I like Luke Bryan a lot. Crash My Party, I think, is my favorite country song. Wow. That's like Bob Lefsetz's favorite country song. Uh, I don't know if you ever Uh-oh. read the Lefsetz letter. I mean, that... Fuck no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I kind of... I, I'll go like once a month and just scroll through the archive, but that song is... Uh, it's just funny you mentioned that. I was thinking about this the other day where I'm like, why does this man why, mention why does Crash he like My it? Party? He just thinks it truly captures like youth and romance and kind of what music is all about in a visceral way. I find it a pretty vanilla sort of it's it's I feel, I feel like that sound that kind of overly saccharine uh flirty kind of pop rock country sound really boring but anyway i i think luke's luke's definitely the person to dunk on if you're going to dunk on anyone okay well that would make sense that i like him then because i tend to always like the things that everybody dunks on but he has such an expansive career that i think there's no way you can there's something for everyone in there i mean the guys had like 50 number ones or something like that right he's a nice guy right seems like it oh he's like your classic aw shucks country boy yeah and it seems authentically who he is i think a lot of these guys are authentically businessmen yeah right and i interviewed luke when i worked at entertainment weekly it was just a phoner but i remember asking him something about that's when it was becoming twerking was like a funny word in pop culture right 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 so i was asking him about you know he's known for kind of shaking his booty up on stage and i asked him about this and he was like you know like if it puts asses in seats i'll do whatever it takes in a pair of jeans and i'm like but is have you always been into dancing i don't know what my follow-up was Yeah, yeah but he just basically said like i will do i will do things that sell and right <laughs> that's a uh, it's depressing on one level when you're talking to an artist and then at the same time you're like well you are filling a stadium so i guess i understand why you do you know what where i have arrived at myself and i, I have no idea what it's like to have an audience the size of his but there's things that there's certain kinds of videos and stuff that i do that aren't necessarily super like intellectually stimulating to me and i'm kind of like i don't know i don't really think this video is contributing anything super valuable to the world but People really like them, and I think, well, if I got a couple hundred thousand people to, like, if they enjoyed this thing that I made, then that's that's cool. Like, it may, maybe it doesn't have to be some grand, you know, fucking opus about make, me making some really, like, smart, nuanced point or something like that. If I just entertained a couple hundred thousand people, that's pretty cool. Do you have, like, a, a goal? Like, are you trying to get people ultimately to one kind of music? Are you really as detached as you say? Do you have some kind of hope of, this is where I want to take my audience ultimately? I would like to help the audience become better critical thinkers in a way that helps them have a happier life outside of music. Wow. Like, I don't even listen to music that much, you know, outside of for work, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, my career has been in, like, marketing and tech and things like that, which is always where I've allocated the vast majority of my energy like i listen to tech podcasts and like i you know i i put a lot of my energy into running my businesses and stuff like i talk about music just because that's basically a container it's a thing that i know a lot about and i know that people will will care about it but really my my goal is to break down a lot of the kind of self-limiting thinking that's embedded 
in alternative culture, you know, or just like, I guess, like creative culture in general. But you can't just talk about that on its own or nobody will pay attention, you know, to use a, an insulting, condescending analogy. Uh, you know, I think about, you know, if you have a dog and you got to give him his medicine, you can't just give him the pill. You got to put it in some hamburger, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. And so, for example, you know, in my videos, lots of times I kind of talk about the sort of tension between art and commerce of like, well, if you want to play this kind of music that not that many people like, that's cool. That's a that's a choice, but you have to understand that's probably going to come at the the cost of commercial success or vice versa. And so the the point that I'm really trying to make there is not about those particular genres of music. It's just about the idea of making deliberate choices and accepting the results of those choices. If that makes sense. Backtracks with what I've seen in your videos. So and and I think I I really resonate with especially what you said about art and commerce when it comes to me as a music fan is, you know, so many times I feel this temptation to be like, all right, I need to throw, like, what if I just threw the mainstream out the window and really just used my platform as a way of showcasing these incredible artists on the independent scene whose music and values I find really compelling. And at the end of the day, I never want to do that, A, because I think from a practical standpoint, you would lose a lot of people. Yes. But also... I actually have, I think, a little bit more respect for the people that can play the game just enough to be on the radio, to have a giant tour, and really also figure out how do I say what I want to say. And those are the people exactly. that end up the Garth Brookses of the world. And it's not an easy needle to thread. And I, I think there's something just super compelling about that. I totally agree. The people who, like, I really respect the most are people like Lady Gaga, who are massively commercially successful, but also she does stuff that is just weird as fuck because <laughs> that's who she is because she wants to, you know? And obviously, if, if all she wanted to do was optimize for commercial success, she would probably do some things differently. But yet she has also become massively successful. And like you said, that is an incredibly difficult needle of thread. And the people that do that, to me, are the most interesting ones. And when she gets like a little too esoteric, she even will kind of relent and be like, yeah, I probably need to do an Ariana Grande collaboration. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, as you said, you can make your channel all about just these cool like indie artists and stuff like that. That's easy to do. Or you could make your channel all about talking shit on popular artists. That's easy to do. What's difficult to do is that middle ground of where you have enough commercial success to have, you know, to have this be like a viable source of income for you, but also, you know, talk about some stuff that is, you know, off the beaten path a little bit. So I'm totally on the same page. So I do reviews. You don't really do reviews, or at least I've always done reviews. And and you're actually, it's funny to be on a podcast talking about YouTubing right now, because I'm almost in this, I'm in this like three week crisis where I just will not turn on the camera. I'm like in a battle with my own freaking tripod and just like, no, I'm not going to film if I don't want to film right this second. Um, uh -huh. I, I got some something I'm working through, something to grow up over, but I'm thinking about kind of kicking reviews to the curb because I really have become 
become so disinterested in just saying whether things are good or bad. Right. Go fucking watch the video and make up your own mind about whether it's good or not. Yeah, I'm more interested in responding to people's taste than trying to make yes. people's taste. That's kind of an awkward way of saying I don't want to be a taste maker. I, I'd rather respond. That's sort of a direction I want to go in. And I'm, I'm scared because you just at least I know it's easy traffic to just when something comes out, react to it, say, oh, I like it or I don't like it. But I find that makes me feel horrible. Uh, and it also just creates this really this demand that rubs me more wrong than anything as a YouTuber where I'll, I'll make something, I'll try and be smart and have kind of a thoughtful response to it. And all of the comments just say, okay, now listen to this. And I know people are excited and want to share something that they love and want to hear my thought on it. Yeah. But it, it almost creates this bad consumer mentality for, oh, I like I, I'm not even listening to the music or to what you're saying. I just want to hear you say these words. And, and I don't know that that for some reason, I can't interface with that. Other people are great at it and are like, cool, the audience wants me to check this out. I'll check it out. But it it, it messes with my brain chemistry somehow. I wish that I wasn't that stubborn too. Like what I've noticed is that my audience really likes it when I just mention a specific artist. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so happy you mentioned so-and-so. I'm like, I, do you want me to just fucking read the Wikipedia? <laughs> like, is that really what you want? Like I'm, I'm trying to make a larger point here. Whether I mention this or that artist is irrelevant. Yeah. But people like it. So sometimes I'm just like, all right, well, I'm just going to say, oh, and then there's also X, Y, Z, A, B, and C. Yeah. Because that'll make some people happy. Yeah. I, I, I feel that. And I think I always got to check myself. It's so easy to become a diva as a, anyone, as a YouTuber, I guess. But I'm always like, step back. Remember, people are excited. This is them being a fan, loving an artist. Exactly. I do this exact thing. Like when I listen to Theo Vaughn's podcast, I have this embarrassing like DM thread that he's never responded to of just, <laughs> oh, so, something you said really resonated with me. Um, I appreciate what you're doing. Gang, gang, Theo. And it's like 12 DMs at this point. No oh, responses. That's but, but I just, <laughs> I do it too. And so I got to remember it ain't that serious. People are just kind of maybe spending 20 seconds being excited. Yeah, yeah. Anytime that I sort of get, I don't know, frustrated or whatever, I try to just go back to being grateful that anybody gives a shit what I think about anything at all. Yeah. You know, and it's very easy. I, I, don't, I have no idea who said this, but there's a good saying, I think, remember when all you wanted was what you have right now. You know, there was a time where I was like, man, I would be just stoked if I could regularly have 10,000 people watch my videos. And I, and I would have been happy with that. I ended up getting much more than that. That's great. And I just want to always go back to the place where I would have been grateful. Well, I mean, I am grateful. I just always want to go back to that place of being grateful for even a couple thousand views because most people never even get that. So good to remember, like so, so good to remember to have gratitude and I think ultimately that's always what kind of pulls me out of my little YouTubing slumps too, is just get over yourself. There's something vain. I sometimes think like my life should be fucked up. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that's I, a very bad impulse. I know, I know, but it'll be like, you know, I built this channel. Wouldn't it be fun to just go be a day laborer and work landscaping and just delete this whole channel um, just to sort of, I don't know, have some struggle. Uh, so I, but when I'm being that way, the answer is always step back, actually reflect on how good you have it 
and have some gratitude for that and some thankfulness for that. And then get over yourself and stop this weird vain tailspin and just shoot a video. I'm kind of talking myself into shooting this afternoon, if you can't tell. You should. I've been doing this for a little over four years now, and I have only missed one week of uploading in that entire time. Wow. That's amazing. Last year, I did a whole month of no uploading, and it was my second most profitable month of the year, which was annoying. Just the algorithm supported two old videos, and I did not need that reinforcement to my own laziness. Going back to what we were talking about before is like there's oftentimes no correlation between (laughs) best practices and and (laughs) results. That is so freaking true. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or 
go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Dude, my favorite video that that you've put out probably ever was the one about fun. Not the band fun, uh-huh. but why did yeah. uh, something like why did rock stop being fun? Yeah. That is my favorite video you've made in a long time. Oh, thank you. And I feel like it captures kind of all the things that you're saying about art and commerce, about gratitude in a way, about sort of independent thinking. Anyway, that was your masterclass to me. You know, and that's a great example. When I was done with that one, I was like, oh, this kind of sucks. Like, like, I didn't say anything smart here. Like, this is not a good video. Oh, well, I'll just put it out and I'll do something good next week. And it's my most popular video probably ever in that time period. Well, there you go. And everyone tells me it's great. And, you know, so I guess if you're uh, looking for me to have some sort of great insights, I don't know if I can do that because the more longer I do this, I'm like, what the fuck do I know about anything? (laughs) Dude, it's true. I'm enough in the game to know that. It's weird the videos that click and the videos that don't. Yeah. And, you know, I just think, uh, I think we're just lucky that, you know, we get a lot of swings at bat, you know, getting to back to people like, you know, musicians, you know, who are, who do the album thing or people that make movies, you know, they don't get that many swings at the bat. And I, I watch a, like, a lot of film YouTube. And I just think about that. It's like, man, that is so tough. You get to make a movie once every five years or something. And if you fuck it up, that could just be the end. At this point, I basically, there's so many independent artists and I'm sure you get the same thing. People that DM you and want you to cover them or just respond to something. I tell so many independent artists that are like, yeah, I'm saving up. I'm going to go to the studio. We're going to record this. We're going to put out an album. And you just see their Instagram page. They got, you know, 1500 followers. And you're like, don't like, don't do that. You shouldn't spend a ton of money, do a whole photo shoot, make liner notes, try to promote this and get blogs to write about this album, put out a song record yourself, put your phone horizontally, record yourself playing it on YouTube, see which one of them people like, and then kind of invest some money in that song. But as much as I love sitting down and listening to a whole album, I cannot in good faith, you know, recommend that people put that much of an investment into something when media is as scattered as it is right now. And that's total YouTuber mind, because like you said, we realize this, you know, when we fail, we get a chance to just you know, not fail a couple of days later. And that's like, you know, that is a luxury of working on the internet. It's also something for, for older school media formats to learn from it. Yep. I even take it a step further than that. I, I like beta test ideas, like on my Instagram story, you know, I'll just post about something and I, I can just tell based on how many replies I get, how interested people are in it. And I'm like, oh, all right. I post about this thing and I got 15 replies in two minutes. I guess there's something here. I should talk about this. Yeah, you're like an Instagram story analytics person. I remember you said something about that once. I can't even figure out how to look at them. But I do sometimes do polls. Yeah. Yeah, no, stories are great because, you know, that's where some of your like highest engagement people are. I'm definitely most likely to respond on stories. It's so much less stressful to me than an email or a message somewhere else. Yeah, it's weird. I've become that person that doesn't reply to emails, which I always hated that person. But 
I'm like, man, I it's it sucks. I'm so much more likely to respond to an Instagram DM than I am an email. Same. What have I become? Just a, a Zoomer. <laughs> That's right. Well, my wife and I have a, a sort of ongoing joke. It's happened probably 10 times or something over the past couple of years that we'll be at the mall or something. And some random like 19-year-old kid will just approach me and compliment me on something I'm wearing. And... Uh, you know, and I'm like, see, they can tell that our lifestyle and values are the same. <laughs> just like them. I just want to browse the latest TikToks and uh, listen to Trippy Red. Okay, here's the thing. As a, I feel that same. I feel like I have a little bit of a youth handicap. I feel much more like one of the boys than I ever did when I was in college in a fraternity. I'm more comfortable in my skin and like kind of get the youth a lot more than I did when I was a youth. I'm joking, but... I have always kind of, I guess, I guess I never lost sight of the ability to relate to them. And, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't think I am one of them, which I think is an important distinction to make. You know, I'm not trying to be one of the kids or I don't even necessarily care that they think I'm cool or anything like that. I just always want to understand them because I want to understand people in general because, you know, that's the source of so many problems in life is when you lose the ability to relate to other people or you lose the ability to empathize, you create so many, so much like just loss of goodwill and you start, you know, having bad faith interpretations of everybody's actions and stuff like that. And um, that's why it's important to me, not because I want them to think it, that my shoes are cool or something like that. You just like, how awful is it to see that butthurt boomer mentality in someone where you're like, dude, you are so off base here with that like angry clueless rant you just went on. I'm so embarrassed for you. Yeah, man. And, and I don't know if you feel this, but I feel this. It is that what you're calling a boomer mentality, I think is, it is a boomer mentality. It's also kind of coming up from, from the bottom too. this kind of oh, absolutely. strange, like closed minded orthodoxy. Yeah. These 30 year olds complaining about kids these days. Yeah. Or kids these days complaining about, sure. you know, yesterday's kids these days or, sure. Yeah, I'm just seeing like that it is it feels increasingly hard to me to try to just have that natural curiosity in other people and just say like, ah, that's how this artist sees the world. And that's how this artist sees the world. I'm not very threatened by that. I am not threatened by, you know, super conservative country stars or super woke ones or super you know, liberal ones. And I, I used all three of those because I think there's kind of a difference in them. But I but some people are. And it's like, if you, and I feel both like the boomers and the zoomers sort of having a real hard line stance of like, you need to say the right thing about them. And that is a really, I've just noticed that even in just a couple of years of being a YouTuber, that sort of mentality change. Um, and I guess that's what people talk about when they say our society is so polarized, but it's weird how it can find itself into a music review conversation. It's true. Like you feel like there's this intense pressure to basically read a script about this person one way or the other, you know, and there's multiple different scripts. Like I was joking on my Instagram yesterday that I get called an SJW cuck and a bootlicker, you know, <laughs> and clearly I can't be both of those things, but there's just all this pressure. Like, I can't believe you mentioned this person and you didn't say X, Y, Z about what they think. Right. I don't have an obligation to like have an opinion on this person's like lifestyle or politics or whatever. Totally. Yes. Like, I don't care. <laughs> that's their business. If you care, that's fine too, but I don't. 
Yes, 100% in, in agreement. And I'm looking at my own self in the screen being like, sir, don't go down this road. This convo won't do anything good for us other than to just say, <laughs> I brought it up. It's true. You brought this on yourself, my friend. I know. I made a decision last year, though, not to kind of run from a lot of potentially controversial things because for me personally, and feel free to not comment here in order to... Um, you know, plead the fifth and keep yourself out of hot water. But I realized that by not saying anything, people were assuming what I think and almost always assuming wrongly. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I was like, you know what? I have to say something here because otherwise people are going to put words in my mouth and they're not going to be words that I like. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for saying something when something needs to be said. But it is that is a frustrating aspect of it. I mean, I think 90% of the time, Actually, you can just say, that, that's not what I was planning. I don't want the news to be the tail that wags the dog. And now I'm yeah. just responding in a never ending cycle of responding to whatever this week's uh, scandal is. You know, in, in country music, it was Morgan Wallen said the N word. And then a week later, it was Luke Combs apologized for having conf like being in a video with these Confederate flags. And you really saw both sides of cancel culture working against the two. And you're like, oh my gosh. And you're right, though. People kind of do start to assume, I think a very small number of people very vocally assume what you're thinking. And it's threatening. And you're like, I better start responding. But it's hard to keep your head about you and, and just plug away at what you're doing. Like one of my sort of creative heroes, this is weird, is this woman named Laura Hillenbrand. And she's written two books. I've heard her name. Is she like some conservative-ish? No, 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 no. She is an author. She's written Seabiscuit. Oh, okay. And Unbroken. And she spent about 10 years on each of those. And I just think about the vision of her career of, I'm sure there's, she's so talented at writing. There's probably a million opportunities or things where like Time Magazine is like, why don't you write the cover story for something? And she's just kind of like, no, I'm going to keep in my research. I'm going to keep working on these. And I'm sure she's, you know, a year or two away from putting out a third bestseller that's going to become a bestselling movie. And I'm like, that is, you know, that's not <laughs> really what I do, but that's kind of, I want to be inspired by that and just sort of. I mean, Seabiscuit, this beat is killing country music. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Comparable works. Yeah, that one took me six weeks, not 10 years, but still just stay focused. But in all seriousness, I mean, I think that 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 is a great example of a piece of content that people will be able to watch in five years and it will still be relevant. Like, obviously, the trends will be different, but you'll be able to watch that and be like, this is very good commentary on that moment in time. Totally. Whereas reacting to the latest headline, that will be irrelevant in three weeks. Yeah, that's that has been such an interesting thing to learn. And that is really where the algorithm will humble you is seeing short-term traffic versus long-term traffic. So that, and that's really what reviews do. Reviews burn bright for like three days and then they're gone. And then meanwhile, this video that I didn't even think was that fascinating, my third most popular video now ever on my channel that passed a million views a few weeks ago is 10 country artists that just sort of disappeared. And I'm like, I guess I get why, you know, in hindsight, it's evergreen. It's interesting what, what happened to these people. Um, there's something kind of, there's an implied salaciousness, even if it's not salacious, but also yep. it's nostalgic and kind of fawning over this former time of country. But 
Yeah, you you start to realize, oh, it's not all about just that first week of views. No, it's not. And um, for example, like I made a video about Bam Margera, I don't know, four or five months ago or something like that. I got, I don't know, 100,000 more views or something in the past couple of weeks because there's all this stuff with him like not being part of Jackass and he's like having some mental health difficulties and stuff like that. And so I think there's a way to do both of commenting on someone that will continue to be relevant and you sort of become the person who has a point of view on that person or thing in general that helps people kind of filter the current headline, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yes. And that's what I would like to do is like, I just want to drop a thing that's like, this is everything I have to say about this person. Dude, yes. That, I, I'm literally working on that with Alan Jackson right now. I, I've been watching documentaries and reading, you know, printing out old magazine features from the early 90s and just being like, what is my sort of line on Alan Jackson? What makes him special, essentially? And then... I don't know. I'm like, I just, I want that somewhere on my channel. And then that can always be the thing that whenever there's Alan Jackson right. news, it's like, boom, I've said what I think. And when he puts out a new single or whatever, or some new thing comes out, like, I don't even know if he still makes music, but you know, they will, you know, you'll get traffic from that. And I've seen that happen lots of times with, you know, some of my, we need to talk about some of the videos. That's, that's a big one. Like, I'm so glad I came up with that headline because it's that implied salaciousness is such a good device. I call it reverse clickbait because you're playing into that negativity bias that people have. Yeah. Without the content actually feeding the, you know, you're tricking them by thinking that, that you, they think it's going to be McDonald's, but it's actually a kale salad. Yeah, totally. That, that's how I try to do it. And, and that series was one that I came up with because I kept getting people saying like, you should make a video about so-and-so. And I was like, well, what would I, I just couldn't really f think of a container for that. And so, you know, we need to talk about so-and-so was now the place that I can make a video about any sort of big person forever. And that can just be my, my thoughts on this person and it lives forever. And those are super popular. And again, in hindsight, it makes perfect sense. Why? Because these are like, you know, very high profile people. There's that implied salaciousness. And a lot of these things that become successful in hindsight, it's obvious why. But at the time, you're just sort of stumbling through the dark, like stepping on Legos and, you know, you accidentally find something that works. Dude, you know what? You know what I'm finding myself just sort of sitting here thinking about? About three minutes ago in our conversation, I just have to say, when I said I'm looking at the camera being like, don't go down this road, my camera's in front of your face. So I was looking at myself saying that, being like, Grady, why did you bring up cancel culture? And if it's something you don't want to talk about. But I'm like, wow, it seemed like such a negative moment in the conversation. And I just want you to know, I wasn't really mad at you. I was mad at me. And I can't really see you that well. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't take it that way at all. Oh, okay, good. I was worried I'd been, I was like, wow, was I a dick on someone else's podcast? I hope not. No, no, not at all. And, you know, I, I'm generally so allergic to any of those sort of topics, too. So I totally get it. Um, but I will say this. All the times that I was afraid that I was going to offend people, I didn't at all. I only got support for it. Like it was the reaction was way more positive than I thought it would be. And the times that I've pissed a lot of people off, I didn't see it coming at all. And it was about some totally fucking innocuous thing like me making fun of Counting Crows in passing. <laughs> and then getting hundreds of comments from angry Counting Crows fans. I'm like, what? Like, I, I, I 
could not have ever imagined that that would be the controversial thing I would say that would piss people off. Dude, ultimate example of this in my life was I tweeted something when Taylor's lover era was beginning. And I said something like, I think it's pretty cool that Taylor didn't do any interviews with the media during her entire reputation era. Uh, for an album covered in newsprint about managing her reputation, she never did that. And I think there's yeah. like, I feel like not enough people talk about that. It was just like a random tweet. That is, a very that is an interesting point. It, it got like 200 likes or something, but then Taylor liked it. And so all like, then uh -oh. it became a thing that got liked by like 40,000 people. Then it somehow traveled into the Beyonce world because Beyonce oh, also no. doesn't talk to the press. And it's like, oh, so it was getting quote tweeted like, well, Beyonce has been doing this for years, but I didn't hear any of this energy for Beyonce, <laughs> like sounds about white. And I was like, oh no, I literally, this was a random tweet for me. I tweet about country music. I just randomly had a tweet to say about Taylor Swift. And I, I, uh, I then endured like days and days of angry Beyonce fans that were mad that I have never, they're like, so are you going to like give credit to the, to Beyonce? Like she deserves. And I was, you know, much like Taylor, I never asked to be included in this narrative. Um, and I would very <laughs> much like to be excluded, but that was my ultimate example of that. Well, I was like, wow, I don't know how this has offended this fan base. Well, it's like I said, they're going to put words in your mouth, <laughs> yeah. you know? You're like, what, huh? What, how did we go from here to there? And what just, where's the door I want to go? Yes. <laughs> Oof, man. What kind of toxic fandoms exist in country? There's, you know, I, I've stumbled upon several of them in rock. I have to think that they exist in country too. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think a lot of fan bases have the potential to be really toxic. Um, if you don't like the song, sometimes it's that simple, but I would say strangely, some of the really poppiest artists actually that kind of resemble pop stars, some of the glitzier people and a lot of kind of the, I don't know, maybe like Carrie Underwood's fan base is kind of famously harsh. They can be a little bit like the beehive and want to sort of defend every single thing she does. Like it's great. And, and they feel like a really personal connection to her. And I think it's in some ways because she's really pretty and she's really shy and it's sort of this perfect person. Like, leave her alone. Yeah. To defend. Who, who are her fans? I think of them as being like 32 year old moms with like, you know, two kids in kindergarten that are kind of too busy to pay attention to any of that shit. Some of that, some, I don't know. I think it's a pretty broad spectrum because on the one hand, she's kind of got some crossover appeal into pop fans that are younger. On the other hand, she's got some kind of hallmark appeal because she'll make sort of hymnal Christmas albums. So they are just loud. They're, they're loud. But I wouldn't say that they're toxic on the whole. I just say that they can have... A little touchy. Yeah, they're sensitive. They're very protective of her. Is she the one that had the song that's like, I took a Louisville yeah, slugger yeah, yeah. to Before both he headlights? Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, I mean, I think Carrie's, Carrie's one of those artists that's super interesting because you kind of... She doesn't really let you in that much. She's very impersonal sort of on her albums and she sort of prides herself on being a storyteller and you look back on her career and there's all these songs like that where she's kind of role-playing either as someone that you know is going to destroy your car with a baseball bat or she's going to uh there's a song called church bells about uh, a girl getting married to an older guy and you hear those church bells in the first chorus but then she 
you know, poisons him after he beats her and you're at her funeral, you're at his funeral at the end. And that's why you're hearing the church bells. And, you know, she has these songs that are so over the top. I didn't know she went so dark. Yeah. And she's just this like sweet girl from Oklahoma, but she's an interesting artist in that way. And even if she doesn't write them, you know, she, she at least signed off on using those songs. Yes. Which is kind of a famous tradition in country music. Like the, there are some artists you can't think too hard about it because Carrie Underwood will have a song like that. She'll have a song like last name about getting married in in Vegas and I don't even know my last name and then literally you know that's back to back with a song like Jesus take the wheel and you're like, well, <laughs> <Right>. interesting. <laughs> you're going in a lot of directions here. Yes. And it's just kind of a, a thing you got to accept. There's definitely people in the country rap world that I think have, again, very protective fan bases that are, I think, people that sort of... Like the Jelly Roll type people? Yeah. At this point, Upchurch and I are good. You know, we've DM'd. I understand where he's coming from. He understands where I'm coming from. And, but... He has a very, very, yeah, they can be vicious, protective fan base. And I think I understand it more and more. I think I learned a lot in this kind of tiff I had with Upchurch where I kind of got canceled for a while by him. And, you know, all my comments just said Creek Squad or Wreck. Those are kind of their terms. And I think it showed me that there are certain fan bases that already feel kind of marginalized by society. Yes. We're already looked down upon. And I think for someone like Carrie, a big piece of that is similar. Like women in country often get the short end of the stick. And so there's this kind of natural defensiveness sort of built into the fandoms. And I've become just much more aware of that, that that's sort of a paradigm that a lot of people are operating out of. Maddie and Tay tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. (laughs) Maddie and Tay, in fact, wrote that song with my video, Why Country Music was awful in 2013 on during the writing session exactly so i I tried to tell them and then they tried to tell me did they really yes oh wow they really did i asked them about it wow i was like there's a number of lines i interviewed them for a feature in the guardian and i was like okay i have to just know this this was not part of the on the record interview but i was like i have to know did you know of my video because there's a few lines in that song that are things that at the time I was the only person that had kind of pointed that out and they were like oh Uh that was your video yeah we had that on in the writing session and I was like oh wow "Wow, please give me like a dollar or something yeah (laughs) that's that's you know that shit is so cool though and that's why it's important for anybody to you know say what they actually think because you know, there is a non-zero chance, especially once you have a little bit of a platform, that, you know, something you say might get through to someone like that that has an even bigger platform that, you know, it can have a real ripple effect that might actually change something that needs to be changed. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I, I kind of forgot about that whole thing until you just said that right now. And, and, if, and if you don't put your balls on the line and say something, it's never going to happen. If you hide, and I'm saying this to, to me as much as, you know, not to you specifically, but like, you know, if if any of us hide behind like the fear of controversy, then that's never going to happen. You know, you're going to, you'll be safe, but you'll also never have that kind of impact. I think that's well said. I think that's well, well said, but scary at the same time. Yes. It could also ruin your life. <laughs> totally. I get why a bunch of country artists kind of, come out swing in with a few interesting songs and then sort of become the most boring, you know, satisfied to go play the Today Show summer concert series once every year and put <laughs> right. out like a nice little beachy love song and, you know, tour in pavilions at corporate work centers across the country for the rest of their career. Yep. It is safe. 
I just want to play the uh, play next to the funnel cake stand in the Marine Corps pull up totally. contest and collect my eighty yep. grand. Yes, I don't fault him at all yeah. for that. I think, yeah. I mean, I don't have a family, but I imagine once you have a family, those types of things become much more attractive. Absolutely, and people work for you, and you know, if if you if if you aren't working, they're not working, and then you have responsibility for those people, your crew, and all that stuff. Yeah. So, but but I do think I learned. I will say this, just because. Yeah, I do think I learned about kind of toxic fan bases and realizing, you know, there are everything goes deeper. I think for a lot of people, music is like a Rorschach test and YouTubers are a Rorschach mm-hmm. test. I don't even know if I'm saying that word right, but they are coming with all of their sort of biases and feelings about the world and, and questions of whether they are um, acceptable in society. And a lot of it's getting put onto you. And sometimes people are seeing what they want to see. And if there's a tone of negativity, they're saying, oh, you're the type of person that hates my type, my type of people. Right. Whether or not it's true, it's just good. It makes you a better, I guess, communicator to know that that sometimes is how people are already feeling. And there's a way of saying like, you know, this has really changed specifically how I write about truck songs or how I talk about truck songs. It's very easy to say, oh, great. Another truck song and roll your eyes. It's a different statement to say, look, there are some great truck songs out there, but this kind of falls into the like eye rolling truck song category. That only took me one more second, but it shows that I understand yes. that they're, you know, it, that I'm not an asshole. It's essentially a one second thing to say, I'm not writing off truck songs or people that driving trucks. However, this one sucks. Yep. And, and I've just, you know, people might say that's being like a pussy, but I just think it's being a better communicator. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's, you know, people kind of, people, like talk shit on me for adding qualifiers like that. Like, why are you such a coward pussy? Do you have to like make these disclaimers and qualifiers? But it's because I don't want my words to be misinterpreted. And specifically, I don't want them to be misinterpreted in a way that anybody would take as an attack that I didn't intend. I think, like you said, it's not being a coward. It's being actually a better communicator. Yes. Yes. And I think a lot of people would be better served uh, if they did a little bit more of that in their life, you know, just a couple words of like, hey, I hear where you're coming from because I know you've had a lot of experiences with this. But that said, here's my two cents. Totally. And I, and I, I can look back at almost any situation where, you know, a fan base has gotten riled up. And I feel like it probably would have been avoided with just one or two of those. But at the same time, if you're sitting there just trying constantly trying to think, how do I avoid that? You're going to be boring. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 the line I try to find, too. Well, before I let you go, where do you want to take this? Like, let's say two years from now, if everything went, you know, uh, according to plan, worked out the way you hope it worked out, what does life look like for noted scholar Grady W. Smith? And you know that you're a noted scholar because of the W. Dude, I got no idea. I, I really don't. There's a part of me that just wants to, sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe Apple Music will just call again and I'll be like, yeah, sure. You can just produce a show and I'll just show up and sit in a booth and talk for an hour a day. And I'll just be a cog of the industry. There's another part of me that thinks, sure. I mean, all the time. Yeah. I don't think I'm really emotionally cut out to be a YouTuber. Uh, I should just, you know, jettison this into the sea and just have a day job. And then maybe once every like six months or something, post a video. And so, I mean, that really, I'm not trying to be dramatic. That's just kind of where my, my mind is at. I think sure. I need a team. I think 
that is the one thing I know is I cannot live alone and work alone and feel good about life day to day and expect to get anything done on the channel. It just doesn't happen for me. And I've kind of gotten to this place now where I have an assistant that comes in one day a week. That's always like the best day of the week because I'm up early. I shower. I'm not a naturally industrious person at all. I'm extremely creative and communal with others, but by myself, I'm, I don't really get it done. And I have trouble kind of with the productivity side of YouTube. And so I need to figure out a way in which I work with someone or I'm part of a team. I don't necessarily need to be bossed around, but I need some teammate. And that's, that's kind of, I think my biggest long-term goal is a year from now, I would love to sort of leverage what, if I'm going to keep doing this, leverage what I do into having someone else on the team, whether it's a brand or not, or it's just my name. I haven't figured that out yet, but man, my dreams are pretty small right now. It's like, how do I start doing a video every week? <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying to start there. I read a book that had a great name for this. I don't know if it's exactly what you're talking about, but he called it the time decay of ambition. This is by a guy named Emmanuel Derman, who's basically like the father of modern quantitative finance. And um, he has like a physics PhD and stuff and applied that to, to finance. And he said when he was uh, a kid, he wanted to be the next Einstein. And then he got a little bit older and he just wanted to be the next so-and-so who was like the current hot new thing in physics. And then he got a little bit older and he just wanted to be the next so-and-so who was like the head of the physics department. And by the time he was 34, all he wanted was like an office mate that didn't smoke. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, ex I relate to this guy. The time decay of well, ambition. Does that turn out to be good or does that turn out to be good or bad for him? I think for him, it's about, and for me too, it's about reconciling those two things to a place where, you know, you're neither disappointed nor complacent, you know, that you just sort of these, these, like you had these kind of wildly um, unrealistic dreams as a kid. And then there's this other part that wants you to just like settle on being a sort of miserable person just existing. Mm -hmm. And there's a point where you converge on something where you're doing something cool that, you know, maybe you're not going to, um, change the way we define reality, but you're still going to be doing something cool and you can be a happy person. And so that's kind of how I think about it is like, you know, finding the the place where those two, the equally equilibrium point where those two things converge. Yeah, that's, that's definitely attractive to me. And that's pretty fucking cool. If you can make videos about country for a living, and if that means you have, you know, an assistant to help make you head, like, that's fucking cool. Like, that's yeah. a super cool life. Yeah, I think, I mean, my big goals right now are just like, I would love to buy a house where I don't feel like I, I live under people and they're awesome, but I feel sometimes guilty making stuff loud uh, when I'm filming. I mean, some of my dreams are just like so practical and small. And I'm sure if some person in the industry hears this, they're like, wow, this dude just needs like a manager that like, you know, works out these very, 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 very basic kinks. But I don't know. That's kind of <laughs> There's something to be said for as bad as I often feel like I am at this job, you step back and you're like, you know what? I've paid all my own bills for two years. I'm doing better than I've ever done. I have put out, you know, almost 400 videos. And as much as I want to sit here and be a damsel in distress, I'm, I got to get over that. I'm really not, I'm doing fine. Uh, but I'd like to buy a house. I'd like to have an assistant and I'd like to, if I go more in the interview direction, 
which I think could be very interesting. I personally believe I have to draw a line between being a critic and being a personality in the space. Um, and that's something I feel a lot of tension about is I've always kind of been a critic and I feel really, really confused about if I'm to interview artists, I personally don't believe I can also review music. I agree with that. You can't do good, honest reviews and also do interviews, I think. It builds sympathy to talk to someone. Yeah. Even if you're doing it journalistically, you a little bit, it humanizes them. This is part of the reason I don't do reviews is because almost, I mean, not to sound like a douche, but like in my space, I know somebody who is connected with almost any of these in some way or another because I know a ton of producers because of my right. the company I, I run teaches music production, so we work with all these producers. So I either know someone in the band or uh, their management or a producer on almost anything or someone at the label, and I just can't bring myself in good conscience to say that this is shit if that's what I think. I just can't because I'm like, well, my friend recorded that. I'm not going to say that it sounds like shit. I'm just not going to do that. Right, right. And, you know, I'm just not going to, which means that my reviews are not honest. And so I shouldn't do them. Yeah. And that's a thing that a lot of people, I think, don't have much. Every time I've ever expressed this, people are like, oh, why don't you interview so-and-so? It's like, well, I just I just reviewed his album or, you know, his album's going to come out in a month. And they're like, oh, well, just say what you think about the album. You're a straight shooter. And then also talk to them and... It's, it's harder than people think. Yeah. Great. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. Thanks so much for uh, joining me this morning or afternoon uh, and look forward to seeing what you have coming up next. Dude, I am so thankful you invited me. You really are one of my favorite YouTubers and now podcaster. So <laughs> thank you. Wonderful. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>